FromTheHeart.org Radio, in collaboration with Mayo Clinic, you are listening to Mayo Clinic Talks with Dr. Bernard Gersh. This is Bernard Gersh at the Mayo Clinic, and for the second time, uh, we have uh, Dr. Veronique Roger, who is Professor of Medicine and Epidemiology at the Mayo Clinic, and also uh, Chairman of the Department of Health Sciences Research. Uh, Previously, um, Dr. Roger talked about changes in the acute coronary syndromes from an epidemiological perspective, but today our focus is going to be on heart failure. Uh, Welcome back, Veronique. Thank you. Uh, Could you begin um, giving us some idea of what is happening nationally? I know that you were the first author on the paper recently uh, published on uh, American Heart Association Heart and Stroke Statistics for 2012. So what is happening nationally in terms of the incidence of heart failure and the prevalence of it in the community? You know, the the national statistics are interesting because they're actually the ones that I've raised uh, along, of course, with uh, Eugene Brownwald, the the concept of an epidemic of heart failure. And it's because national statistics over time track track, uh, hospitalizations. And so when you track hospitalizations, you track first admission, second admission, third admission, et cetera. And as I'm sure we'll be discussing in this conversation, uh, readmissions is a problem in heart failure. So therefore, national statistics really count the events at the event level, but not at the patient level. So it really shows a image of an epidemic, but it's an epidemic of events, so not I, an epidemic I, so at the person level. I did not realize that. So a patient with heart failure with five hospital admissions in a year, that's not one heart failure. That's five. Not in the national statistics of hospitalizations. Okay. Every single hospitalization is going to be counted separately. So what do they show? So when you look at the numbers and the figures for that nationally, it shows a staggering increase in heart failure as measured by the burden of hospitalizations. So in 1997, when uh, Eugene Brownwald published his uh, Shattuck lecture in the New England Journal of Medicine saying there's two new epidemics, one was atrial fibrillation, which we're not talking about today, and the second one was heart failure. And the you third know, was obesity, uh, diabetes. Well, I mean, if there was a third, it was definitely that one. Um, then, you know, epidemiologists get all excited because there's a new epidemic in cardiovascular disease, uh, and so we wanted to investigate that. And so uh, we and others have looked at that more more closely in community studies and what we've shown in our own community studies. This is the Olmsted this County, is the Olmsted County community study. study. What, what we've shown is that, in fact, the incidence of heart failure over the past two decades is flat. It's not declining, but it's flat. This is age-adjusted, though. This is age-adjusted. So um, this accounts for the fact that it's an older population. Exactly. And the Framingham data show the same thing. So it's not just um, southeastern Minnesota that no. it has a flat incidence. No. Framingham, Framingham as well. Now, the caveats for Framingham and Olmsted County is that their population in those age range are mainly Caucasian, and so we'd need to look in non-whites at what it, what it, what it is. But the, the, the corollary to that flat incidence is that survival has improved. And so what happens is that you have more people living with heart failure, which you know you can translate in epidemiology jargon that the prevalence of the disease is increasing. And because there are more people living around with heart failure, they're candidates for readmissions. And so they keep coming in and out of the hospital, in and out of the hospital, 
fueling, if you will, number one, the epidemic that we're talking about in terms of national statistics, and number two, leading to this revolving door phenomenon, which is so costly in a staggering uh, way I on mean, the from a, system. a sort of philosophical and slightly supercilious standpoint, I suppose, mm-hmm. we often heard the argument that um, you know, improvements in medical technology and improvements in treatment, improvements in survival, will never translate into improvements in cost. Because maybe the cheapest way to manage a myocardial infarction is uh, for the patient to die before they even get to hospital. Yeah, no, there's no, um, you know, there's no question about that, that people who live longer with the disease are going to be uh, 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 consuming health care. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, it's a bit of a cynical view, but, you know, that's what we all wish for ourselves is that we get to be consumers of health care for the longest time possible. Yeah. I think the unique piece for heart failure is the disease is characterized by these exacerbations. And it's, it's particularly prone, if you will, to taxing the healthcare system because of the readmission now, phenomenon. Now, when you say the incidence of heart failure, or this is the first diagnosis of heart failure, yep. is stable, yep. isn't that surprising given the fact that we now recognize heart failure with preserved systolic function, whereas we didn't 10 years ago or 15 years ago? Yep. So that there are probably many cases of, quote, diastolic heart failure or HEFPEF that weren't recognized 20 years ago, and yet despite that, the incidence is level. Yeah, Flat. and I think, um, you know, some several um, people have raised that when these data just, just came about, and the um, the um, um, there's no question that any time you look at trends over time, you have to factor in the ascertainment component. I mean, if you measure something differently, it will yeah. impact the trends. So that's a given for anything that you want to measure over time. Now, the issue of heart failure with preserved uh, uh, systolic function or HFPF or heart failure preserved ejection fraction is that, yes, it's an entity that's been recognized over the past two decades. And, yes, it's impacting the trends. So if we're saying the trends are flat, despite a new form of heart failure emerging, then you could ask yourself, well, if it hadn't emerged, then we would have seen a decline in, in the other component. Which is really something that no one's, uh, you know, um, I hadn't really, certainly hadn't realized that. I, I, I kept thinking, well, you know, the epidemic of heart failure is here, and it's getting more frequent, not less. Yeah, no, and but I think the the, the frequency again is stable, but it, but but the case mix is is, is changing, and you know, uh, Maggie Redfield and TO one and you know here uh, published a paper in New England Journal of Medicine it? It said it was fifty fifty, but that over time the uh, uh, prevalence, if you will, of uh, HFPEF or the res- res- respective frequency of preserved versus reduced TF is increasing. And this may be a larger population of older hypertensive patients who are surviving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. particularly women. Yeah. Let's go on to the thorny issue of readmissions. I mean, we this is a metric of care. Correct. And um, it's you know, a, it, the causes are multifactorial, yeah. but... Well, and it's a, you know, it's a contentious uh, metric of quality of care because of the complexity of heart failure. The, the the issue with heart failure is that it's not only uh, a cardiovascular entity, if you will, but the, the the major problem that we face with heart failure is is that of comorbidity, and people have even used uh, or are becoming to use or are starting to use more the term multimorbidity, 
and the difference between comorbidity and multimorbidity conceptually is that if you think about comorbidity, you think about heart failure as the major problem and some other conditions that sort of travel with it. When you think about heart failure being integrated in a picture of multimorbidity, you recognize that you're looking at a patient that has problems with the heart, problems with the kidneys, problems with other things. I mean, I'm just, uh, making that very schematic, but that's really the concept. And so when it's you think... It's a bit like the mortality of community-acquired pneumonia. It's very high because of all the other because comorbidities. Of the, uh, all, uh, because of all... The, exactly. And so when you think about readmission, and particularly 30-day readmission, uh, which is in 2013, is, a, is, a, is a potentially not going to be reimbursed or covered by CMS anymore. You, you then begin to think, well, is it really related to heart failure or not? And if it's related to heart failure, how much of it is actually more precipitated by the coexisting condition that travel with Yeah, heart so what do your own data show? Our own data show uh, that when we looked at hospitalizations over time in heart failure, the vast majority of those were actually not attributed to cardiovascular causes. They were, attributed, they were attributed to pneumonias, renal failure, et cetera. And so and respiratory diseases are, in fact, one of the most common reasons. And now, renal failure as a result of heart well, failure therapy? Well, that's, wh that's where it gets really complex, of course. Yeah. And that's where uh, the payers are sort of arguing with the clinicians, if you will, and saying, well, you know, they, 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 it's not, it, it, they're interrelated. You put those patients on diuretics, you can exacerbate their heart failure. So it's unfortunately very hard to tease out exactly what's strictly heart failure and what is strictly non-heart failure. And that's where the debate and the controversy, controversy sort of relies, if you will. What is the frequency of readmission? About is that a number? That you, can you put a number to it, that? It, it's about 30% at 30 days, 27% here. And our numbers here are you know, within what we're seeing nationally. So it's high, no question about it. Well, it's, it's really a very difficult situation because if we are not going to be reimbursed for readmissions, the financial burden of taking care of patients with heart failure could be crippling. Absolutely. It already is crippling, but it could become more and, crippling. And... and is there much on the horizon to suggest that we can have a positive impact upon that? I mean, my understanding of telemonitoring is the results have been equivocal. Uh, yeah, been, uh, one or two studies suggesting there's a reduction in... Yeah, I, th I, th I think when one looks at the telemonitoring studies in aggregates, there, there's, uh, you know, people share your sentiment that it's you know, mixed results, marginal at best, not a substantial effect. And, and this is including impedance, thoracic impedance monitoring <coughs> and a number of other yeah, I mean, I think quite the, sophisticated technologies. Yeah, I think the, the, the issue is that, uh, you know, telemonitoring, uh, nobody, I mean, the definition of telemonitoring is, you know, varies across people. For some people, telemonitoring is a nurse making a phone call. That's yeah. telemonitoring. For some other people, telemonitoring is, is a, an, you know, an, an, our impedance measurements and very precise sort of weights every day, et cetera, and direct uh, data input into the cardiologist's office. So there's a whole spectrum of telemonitoring interventions. And the nomenclature is complicated, which makes the literature difficult to interpret. But if you look at everything in aggregate, I think the, the impact has been borderline. Some have have been more effective than others, but the important thing is that telemonitoring, whatever, however you want to define it, targets the cardiovascular system. 
And if we're saying the majority of hospitalizations that we see are not cardiovascular related, telemonitoring is, will have no impact on pneumonia, uh, probably not going to have a whole lot of impact on COPD exacerbation, so forth and so on. And so that's why t the effect of telemonitoring, when the studies have partitioned total readmissions versus cardiovascular readmission, the effect has been more pronounced on cardiovascular readmissions. That's not unexpected. So I don't think telemonitoring right now, uh, and the more rigorous studies, I mean, uh, Harlan Krumholtz's team had a, a randomized trial in New England Journal of Medicine a few years ago. The more rigorous uh, um, uh, studies show little or no effect. So have you got any ray of sunshine on this gloomy fall morning? <laughs> because... Um, I think the, the ray of sunshine will come from the recognition that, again, we're looking at a picture of multimorbidity, that we're looking at elderly patients, and that we're looking at hospitalizations as the end result of a care-seeking behavior that maps out to issues that are beyond just the cardiovascular system. And I think if we begin to approach this in a much more holistic fashion, involve primary care physicians, look at social support systems, and look at the individual as a whole, that's where we will begin to make some progress. In other words, treat the pneumonias treat, treat, uh, ahead you know, of time. The, uh, and and, and uh, as a matter of fact, this week is, uh, is the week of the Heart Failure Society meetings, and there was a, uh, a paper presented. I, I was not attending the meeting, but um, the, based on the press, a paper was presented that showed that performance measures are being met for dismissal from the hospital or being met with increasingly um, sort of good success in all the hospitals because all, we are all working very hard at, at meeting those, but that uh, they don't really impact mortality and it's because these patients have other problems. And we've got to recognize that. I mean, the, the, the pro progress is going to come from the recognition that heart failure, yes, is a disease for us cardiologists, but it's much, much bigger than that. Yeah, and this would really come down to prompt diagnosis and treatment of comorbidities, hopefully in an out-of-hospital setting. And, and I think, you know, there's another um, component of the, the heart failure spectrum that cardiologists are just beginning to grapple with, and it's the issue of end-of-life approaches. Yes. And I think if we don't recognize that heart failure is a disease that occurs, that will happen to us at towards the end of our lives and that the survival after the diagnosis of heart failure has improved significantly, yes, but still remains somewhat grim with, you know, numbers from Framingham and yeah. here would be 50% at five years. Then you have to ask yourselves, ask ourselves rather, at what time do we need to have that conversation with the patient? You know, there was a very good, um, very good article in the New York Times quoting Lynn Warner-Stevenson Lynn Warner yeah. several years ago pointing out that for people with class 4 heart failure, it is a cruel thing to do to put in an yeah. ICD. Yeah. And I, as an electrophysiologist, I am having these discussions with my patients because I am being asked to see them for an ICD when I think it is towards the end of life. And it is interesting that in one of the, uh, our upcoming CME meetings, one of the featured topics uh, in the heart failure session is a panel on end-of-life decisions yeah. in heart failure. Not it's not cheerful, but it's a fact of life. Yeah, it's a fact of life. I think one final point. Um, as you talk about the comorbidities and, and being involved with the, the involvement of primary care physicians that is needed, this really is going to make a strong argument for integrated systems of care yep. as opposed to cardiology sitting in a vacuum. There's no absolutely no question that uh, in a disease uh, like heart failure, 
the fragmentation of care will lead to disasters. I mean, there's absolutely no, no question about it because the complexity of treating the disease itself and the complexity of the integration of that disease with other uh, multimorbidities and comorbid conditions. Thank you very much, Veronique. You've been listening to Mayo Clinic Talks with Dr. Bernard Gersh. Visit theheart.org to find out more.